We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well, the 2026 World Cup qualifying and group format, the conversation, Pulisic's future, the not-so-always-greener pastures in Europe, the Burhalter Report, Carly Lloyd, Juan Pablo on Hell, the FIFA Best Awards, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this uh, Wednesday, March 1st in the year 2023? Doing well. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I uh, just flew back. My arms are tired. I uh, got back from uh, the great country of France and the great city of Paris, as we said earlier this week, the first time that I have been there since our uh, six weeks or so in the uh, summer of 2019 for the Women's World Cup. It is still standing. It is still wonderful. It is still beautiful. I know it's one of your favorite cities in the world. Uh, you even learned the language before we went over there, and uh, it didn't let down even in the cold of winter. When we talked uh, earlier in the week, I was just getting ready to head off to the actual awards uh, ceremony. So it was all dressed up and ready to go and saw a lot of different people there that I knew, some that I didn't know. And it was a fun, uh, you know, fun evening of festivities, both at the event and uh, post-event. Uh, how you doing? All right. I'm doing great. I was you watch anything? holding you... the fort back here in LA. Uh, yes. Um, I saw the film Women Talking, which was the last one I had left. I have now seen all 10 Oscar Best Picture nominees. Mm -hmm. And uh, where does it rank in that if you had to Put it, you know, it's up there. I thought it was an excellent film, okay. very powerful, justifiable that it's one of the top 10, then, yes, as far as you're concerned. But Tar is my favorite, Tar so far is your favorite. But do you think that's going to win, or the uh, something, everything awesome, everything, whatever, everywhere, whatever. all at once? Okay. The Banshees of Inisherin, those seem to don't be get me there. started on the Banshees thing, okay? But you think Tar is not going to win, even though you loved it the best? There's some late Tar buzz, so it's it's in the mix, it's coming up, coming yeah. up the, uh, at the end here. Uh, watch anything else. Yes, I've already ripped through another season of Drive to Survive, okay. the Formula One show on Netflix. Excellent as always. And we have Succession coming up this month, and they've Ooh. announced it is going to be the final season. 
the final season. I, I, I saw two things. Well, I actually saw one, read one thing and uh, saw another one. I'm on this 70s kick, this 70s uh, cinema kick, you know, because there's a real aesthetic to it that you, you, you that you feel. And so this latest one is something called The Conversation. And it was actually directed by Francis Ford Coppola uh, and stars Gene Hackman, uh, who's, you know, for lack of a better word, he is a, um, a surveillance and audio expert. And he runs his own company and he hears something that maybe he was not supposed to hear. And uh, all of the drama ensues uh, from there. It held up, but again, it's just this 70s where the cuts are so weird and raw, but that's that's what you expect. And it's kind of a, a, a genre. And uh, it's I, I say it holds up, um, but I don't think a lot of people are going to run off and uh, watch this murder mystery from 1974, I think. And then I, I, I mentioned, you know, I had a lot of time on the plane and I had a lot of time uh, going back and forth. I actually read uh, Ron DeSantis' uh, new book, which just, ca- which just came out. And, uh, you know, because I think he's going to be a player going forward here in the, uh, the political scene here in the U.S. And not a whole lot of new stuff coming out. It looked like much more of a, of a primer for who he is and what he has done. But, you know, interesting that he has so quickly come to the forefront. And I do think, like I said, he's going to be a factor going through as we get into political season going forward. So uh, those are the two things that were uh, interesting. Anything uh, before we light this candle or you want to light it? Let's light this Let's candle. Let's light this candle. Where should we start, my friend? Well, you mentioned you were in Paris for okay. the FIFA Best Award, so we might as well go there first. We, at the end of the, our last podcast, we attempted to predict the winners, and we got most of them right. I think we could all see that on the men's side, it was going to be Argentina's night. It was going to be another occasion for them to revel in what occurred in Qatar. Messi won for best player. Scaloni won for best manager. Emmy Martinez won for best goalkeeper. They even won for best fans. They brought out an Argentina fan. It was and, a lot of Argentina, man. And, I mean, I know you're a Brazilian, and well, there, even for me, I, I love Argentina, and you know I love uh, Brazil, but it was a lot of Argentina. We'll go there first, because most everyone was okay with this, with the exception of Real Madrid. They felt really slighted here. Remember, this is supposed to be club and country. Real Madrid, they won the UEFA Champions League in incredible fashion. They eliminated PSG with Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar in the round of 16. Chelsea in the quarterfinals. Manchester City in the semis, and then beat Liverpool in the final. They also won the Club World Cup recently, although I think that fell outside of the time frame here for this award. And they felt like it should have been split a little bit more than it was. Instead, all the awards were an Argentinian was up against a Real Madrid person. The Argentinian uh, took it. And in Real Madrid, they got wind of what this night was going to be. And so they staged a mini boycott. The only person they sent was Butragueño. <laughs> and uh, Madrid newspapers the next day were filled with stories criticizing us, bringing up the fact that, well, the World Cup is a FIFA event. The Champions League is a UEFA event. So, of course, these awards would favor the World Cup. Benzema was sending out snarky tweets. He had posted a picture of himself and Vinicius and called them the beasts instead of the best. <laughs> Uh, so what do you make of it? All right. Well, before we get to, to that, and there is plenty to uh, scratch your head and potentially whine about when it comes to this, but that's kind of what awards shows are. And they are subjective and they are popularity contests. And we, I think we mentioned last uh, pod that, you know, there's some behind the scenes drama that actually, you know, has kind of come to the forefront between, uh, you know, actually the continued back and forth between Europe and FIFA and this, you know, the power struggle that is going on. A couple of different things. Uh, I told you that, um, you know, I was hanging out with a lot of different people and it was it was wonderful. A lot of people uh, from American soccer that we know and, the you know, Heather O'Reilly and uh, 
uh, and Carly Lloyd and uh, Jill Ellis was there and Alex Morgan and the list goes on and on and on. And people that, you know, I've just kind of come in contact with in, in the past. Juan Pablo Angel, um, who I actually, he did his first television, first American television with us years and years ago when I was at uh, ESPN. Let me tell you something, Mossy, okay? If you ever need a wingman, okay, Get Juan Pablo Angel. Uh, for those that don't know, Colombian player played for many teams uh, in Europe and uh, in the, here in the U.S. for the New York Red Bulls, a legend when it comes to that club and scoring in Major League Soccer, and just one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. But if you have ever seen him in person uh, or on the screen, for that matter, he, he, how, how should I say this? He is, he is easy on the eyes. Uh, no, let me just say it clearly. The man is hot, okay? Never have I seen more swooning that has happened at the mere mention, let alone the sight of Juan Pablo on hell in, uh, in any room. And he was in pretty much every room that we were, uh, that we were, I was there with my, uh, with my wife. Uh, she concurred, uh, and whatever I said was completely, uh, ignored whenever Juan Pablo was, was around and that he's, even, that he's also a really, really nice person. And it was fun to talk to him. Makes me hate him even more. But man, what a good, uh, good looking guy. All right. So when it came down to the actual uh, events uh, and the uh, and the, uh, you know, the uh, the election, if you will. Um, all right. So we're not I don't think we can argue that this was Messi's year. It was always going to be Messi's year. Not even a question when it comes to him winning player uh, uh, of the year. I mean, Martinez, the goalkeeper, we mentioned it's, it's, Argen, it's Argentina, although you had made a, a compelling case for, for others, including Courtois and uh, Bruno, uh, but that wasn't going to happen. Uh, it, it was Argentina's year. Scaloni, uh, even not having co coached anywhere else, and if there ever was an example of why the World Cup drives this award and these awards, this is it. Uh, this is it right here. And so he comes up. I think the biggest surprise came, as you mentioned, with uh, Alexia Putellis. Uh, Second time in a row, but she's been injured, all right, and coming up against Alex Morgan and Beth Mead. I did not see that coming, and I'm not sure if she saw that coming. I mean, even, you know, she's she's trying to get back, but you could see that whatever injury she has, even getting up to the actual podium, up to the, uh, up to the stage— so I think that was a bit of a head scratcher going uh, uh, in terms of that. Uh, Mary Earps, the uh, goalkeeper, I think we predicted that from England. And what uh, this England team did last summer, I think that that was very, uh, very important and a huge reason. Serena Wegman, uh, the coach for England, not a, not a question there. Uh, the Puskas Award, actually the people there, uh, they did fall in love and, and rightly so with the one-legged uh, forward over there, Marcin Oleski, Alexi, I think that's uh, how it pronounced. Actually, Carly Lloyd had to announce it. And so she was, I remember beforehand, she was like, I want to make sure that I get this right going over. And she did much better than, uh, than I did. And for those that haven't seen it, he, he scores a bicycle kick, even though he has one leg and he was on crutches. Amazing, amazing thing. The Argentine fans won an award. And again, it was just a sweep when it comes to Argentina. And that's where it got a little Argentina heavy for everybody in the room. Keep in mind that the, the event started off with a well-done tribute to Pele, and rightfully so, after the loss of Pele and what he has meant. And I think they did a, a really good job. And then it went completely all Argentina. What gets interesting here is that when you talk about winning a player of the year, and then in the same awards, you also have a best 11. I, can't we just make a rule that if you are considered the best goalkeeper or the best player of the year, then you automatically should be on the best 11. And for the most part, 
that held true, except when you are talking about the goalkeeper when it comes for uh, when it comes to the um, uh, the women's side. Christiane Endler, all right, from Chile, and Katrine Berger from Germany and Chelsea, and the winner ultimately, which was Mary Earps from Manchester United and England. So you've just won Goalkeeper of the Year, FIFA Awards Goalkeeper of the Year, and then and then they announced the eleven, and it's not. Herbs and goal, it's Endler and goal. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. So that's my first, that's my first gripe. Okay. So it should just be a war or an awards rule that if you are, if you do get an individual award and then there's a best of an 11, you're automatically on that team. The second thing that happened is Alex Morgan, all right, she didn't win, all right, and she's she's never won this award. And you can make an argument, but the, again, it's just subjective. However, she is on the best 11. How is it possible, Mossy? that the United States women's national team, the number one team in the world, all right, two-time defending champs going for their third in a row, just restacking, all right? And sure, there's questions as to whether they can keep doing it. How is it possible that in a best 11 of the world, there's only one American player on the best 11, which is Alex Morgan. Best 11 for the women's side, Endler and goal, like we mentioned in that controversy. Leon Williamson in the back, Bronze on the right, Renard on the left, Walsh in the middle, uh, Oberdorf on the right, Putellis on the left, and then Meade, Kerr, and Morgan up top. I don't know what is, going, what is going on here, but if that's the way that they want to roll, that's fine. Because come this summer, let's, the best 11 is going to be that U.S. team when they ultimately kick everybody's ass. So those are some of the things uh, that I was thinking. Um, the other thing was, I got a chance to talk to a lot of different people about a lot of different things. And wonderful conversations. It was, it, it was a really fun, fun trip. I really uh, enjoyed it. Johnny Infantino was there, and uh, obviously he is very, very excited, as we all are, about what's coming in 2026. Got a chance to talk to him about that, and he continued to talk about how important that is going to be from a FIFA perspective, but also when it comes to soccer in North America and in the United States in particular, and using it going forward. I, you know, I did, uh, after I got done making fun of his shoes, I don't know if you saw his shoes, Adidas is a, a huge sponsor of FIFA, and this whole, this whole phenomenon of people wearing suits and then like casual tennis shoes types of things. I don't get it. I'm going to be the last man standing when it comes to actual dress shoes with a suit, but that's how I roll. And, you know, so Johnny's getting up on stage and he's in a full suit and he's got his Adidas white shoes on. And uh, so I was giving him a little crap and busting his balls about, uh, busting balls about that. But we did talk a little bit about what are we going to do in 26. Now, he didn't have any answers for me, and this is still to be determined. He actually said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I don't think, and we talked about this before, groups of three work. I think they so fundamentally change the psyche and the strategy of a tournament that it completely makes a, a different group stage and therefore a completely different tournament. As we know, 2026 is going to have 48 teams, and so you're going to have to figure out a way to do, to do all this. But they are thinking about this. Johnny Fantino and FIFA are thinking about what they're ultimately going to do. I know you are of the opinion, too, that it should stay groups of four, and then we'll figure out if there's buys or whatever it ends up being right now. I think, I think that we're going to get our way in terms of the groups of four. I don't know what it's going to look like after that in order to get down to that round of 16 to go forward because you're going to have to have some buys going forward. But these are the types of conversations that were going on all over the place, and it was fun to have those. Have we moved on from the awards? Yeah, you want to? I had a couple of well, other go ahead. No, no, go back. Uh, so the voting for the awards you mentioned was national team coaches, national team captains, journalists, and the fans. Are you curious to know who Tyler Adams and Anthony Hudson voted sure. for? Let, it, let us know. 
So Tyler Adams for best player voted Mbappe one, Messi two, Erlen Holland three. Okay. And then Anthony Hudson, who amazingly enough gets a vote for this because he happens to be the U.S. coach at this <laughs> right, very moment. Right. Uh, he voted Messi first, Holland second, De Bruyne third. Interesting. Interesting. So, so what I hear is that Tyler Adams hates Kareem Benzema, right? And does not like Messi that much. You know who's getting hammered for who's his that? votes? Uh, Brazil boss, Chichi. Now former Brazil boss. He did not vote Scaloni in his top three managers, which is such a jealous, sore loser, salty move. And then he voted Neymar as the best player, number one on his ballot, which is preposterous. Neymar got three votes. Three people put him number one on their ballots. Chichi, Thiago Silva, who was Brazil's captain, and Messi, who you're not supposed to vote for yourself. And he wasn't going to vote for Mbappe because Mbappe was actually a threat to him winning the right. award. So Neymar was a convenient person he could vote for and act magnanimous in doing it, but actually voting for somebody that he knew wasn't a threat to him winning. Well, let's finish it here. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> Before we go on to something else, and it's back to where we started. As I said, there was a lot of Argentina uh, going on. And, you know, I have had wonderful uh, times uh, you know, with Argent Argentinians and, I, and it's, you know, it's a wonderful culture and it's so huge and so colorful and the impact of Argentinian players and that culture is undeniable. But, and maybe it's not fair talking about this with you as a Brazilian, it actually shows up in Chichi and stuff like that. They can probably be kind of a pain in the ass every once in a while when it comes to the Argentines, don't you think? I mean, it's like uh, I get it, I I get it, you know, and 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 I I know I'm being a little bit uh, you know grumpy about a uh, grumpy about the whole thing, but it was it was a little much. And last last thing before we move on. What you mentioned with the goalkeeper on the women's side happened on the men's side as well. Emmy Martinez won for best goalkeeper, but Courtois was the goalkeeper yeah, on the best 11. It's stupid. It's dumb. It's different people voting for it. But, I, I yeah. understand it's different people voting for it, but it, it's, it, it makes it look bad. It makes it look bad. So how, how, is it, how is it possible that you are voted the best in your, in your position or in your sport but you can't make the best 11, then there's, some, there's something wrong. So that's what I said. You should do not pass go, do not collect 200, go straight to the best 11 when it comes to uh, something like that. Any truth to the rumor that you spoke with Mbappe and he asked to appear on the pod? Uh, he didn't, he didn't ask to appear on it, but, uh, so many include, no, we didn't, I didn't speak to him, but I did actually, I, a lot of people, you know, came up and talked to us about the pod and there's, there's an international influence and an international audience out there. If Mbappe wanted to come on, we'd have to see the day because Stu Holden might be booked already that oh, day. Oh, how we'd dare to, you? We'd have to bump Mbappe. Stu showed up and did, uh, my wife and I were sure that he was not going to wear socks. And he didn't wear socks. Stu wears those little, uh, those hose no-shows or whatever. You can't quite see them. He looked great. Don't uh, Both him and his wife looked phenomenal. So yeah. All right. So you spoke to Johnny Infantino about yeah. the potential format for the 2026 World Cup. He didn't get, yeah, I didn't get any answers, but... You know, I planted I planted the seed and I made it I made it very, very clear that come 2026, however it ends up being, we need groups of four. So I, I think the, the message was heard. There's news regarding CONCACAF qualifying for Ooh. the 2026 okay. World Cup. Well, I got to call, uh, you know, Victor Montelliani then and talk to him about it. FIFA announced recently the U.S., Mexico and Canada have automatically qualified. 
as far as everybody else, there are going to be some preliminary rounds to weed out some of your favorite uh, vacation destinations, your Turks and Caicos, et cetera. And when we get down to the final round, it's going to be 12 teams divided into three groups of four, round robin play. The three group winners will qualify for the World Cup, and the two best second place finishers will go to the Intercontinental Playoff. Now, our producer, Sean Sullivan, is very concerned. Obviously, the U.S. and Mexico have automatically qualified. So in this cycle, they're not going to be playing any qualifiers of any import. And even moving forward with it being 48 teams, Sean Sullivan thinks these World Cup qualifying matches over the years between Mexico and the U.S. have been integral to that rivalry. And we might lose that because they're going to definitely qualify for every World Cup moving forward. There's not going to be as much at stake in those games. Do you buy that? Well, I oh no, I buy it. I mean, it's just a fact and, and a reality. But the trade-off is a 26 World Cup that's going to be bigger and better than anything that we have seen. And, you know, it's about the collective oftentimes. And so while from a U.S.-Mexico perspective, it we lose something and we lose some of that tradition from a CONCACAF perspective, as you mentioned, there, the potential exists right now for, like we said, the three that are automatically qualifying, the other three that will qualify first out of those three groups of four in what will be CONCACAF champion or CONCACAF uh, World Cup qualifying just without the US, Mexico and Canada. So that's six. And then the potential for two more. So th we could have eight teams from CONCACAF in the World Cup in 2026. That's a good thing. But when it comes to the U.S.-Mexico rivalry, which has built and sustained not just these, these countries, but let's be honest, CONCACAF. And CONCACAF recognizes that they have this golden goose, and they certainly don't want to kill it. Rest assured, there, every opportunity that CONCACAF has to possibly stage a U.S.-Mexico game— it, and the friendlies, yes, those will be there, but they lack what I think our producer Sean and, and many out there want, which is to see U.S. Mexico in games that matter, where there's no more excuses. And that pendulum and that gap that we talk about that starts to swing or starts to open up and close, what defines that on a year to year basis, and it changes constantly, is those games. So when they when Greg Berhalter is and his team are consistently beating Mexico in in in, comp, in competitive games, in tournaments, and raising the trophy. That takes on real meaning. And when you are a fan, either in the in the stadium or you are a fan and watching that, and you see that, that's bragging rights. Not you know some friendly that happens. Everybody makes a lot of money and happens in a big stadium or something like that. So. You know, whether it's Gold Cup, whether it's Nations League, whether it's these types of things that are going to happen that you're not assured of having those games, but you hope those two teams find their way. And usually it's set up where they can at least get to the final, even though it's not a sure thing. You will have you will have those. But yeah, it's we're facing a future where the U.S.-Mexico games certainly aren't assured from a competitive standpoint. And so, but I don't know what you do. Copa America, those types of things will happen. But again, it's going to be in tournament formats where you're not going to be assured as opposed to in the past where you knew you had the home and away. And the away part of it, going down to Azteca, which we know is a bucket list thing for a lot of American fans, that's going to go away too. So who knows when we're actually going to see the U.S.-Mexico in a competitive environment, let alone one that brings us to Mexico. Because we're assuming this is going to be the format moving forward. It'll just be a matter of plugging the U.S., Mexico, and Canada back into it, right, in subsequent cycles. So you're already projecting that they're going to be in different groups and not going to play in World Cup qualifying. Is that what we're assuming here? 
What do you mean? You mean in for 2030? Correct. So for 2030, no, I, no, I think we could. They'll figure something out where the U.S. and Mexico are still playing, but it'll just not have as much at stake because both teams are going to easily qualify. Ex- it'll just concern? be easier yeah. to qualify, and therefore the the stakes aren't necessarily as big relative to making the qual relative to making the World Cup. But it's again in whatever we're going to call it in the future. Ultimately, we called it the hex, the oct, whatever it ends up being. So yeah, I I, I think that it's going to happen, but it's just it's going to be a fait accompli anyway for us to get to the World Cup. And so therefore, it takes a little bit of the luster off. Mexico-U.S. needs to be a protected game. Right. Uh, I'm dealing with that right now, Big Ten football, because the Big Ten is adding USC and UCLA. And so now there are so many teams, you can't play everybody, as our director gets in my ear and says something obnoxious about USC. Um, <laughs> and, and you can't play everybody, so the, the schedules are going to rotate. But there are some games they want to preserve. Obviously, they want Michigan and Ohio State to still play each other every year. So... Those are the quote-unquote protected games. And so been a lot of talk in Michigan circles about what our protected games are going to be. It sounds like it's Ohio State, Michigan State, and UCLA, not USC. I don't know the reason for that. Really? Yeah. Because I don't know anything about uh, college football, but I know that USC is a better football program than UCLA, right? What's interesting about that, and we're uh, veering off topic here, is it means every other year I'm going to get to go to the Rose Bowl to watch Michigan play. That was like the holy grail when I was growing there up. You go. Where we're going to get to the Rose Bowl. Now we're going to play a regular season game there every other year. But nevertheless, whatever format they come up with, you'd like to see them preserve the U.S. and Mexico playing home and away. It might not mean as much because both teams are going to easily qualify, but nevertheless, yes. you always want For that For 23, to be. I would like to see a, a home and away within a World Cup qualifying process with the acknowledgement that it's not going to have the same stakes, and it probably never will. I mean, the more and more teams that come from CONCACAF, unless CONCACAF fundamentally changes the, the hierarchy and the, and the power uh, structure, that's not going to change for the U.S. or Mexico. Last thing on this, also some news regarding the uh, upcoming CONCACAF Nations League. The four quarterfinal winners there are going to secure berths in the Copa America in 2024. And then the quarterfinal losers are going to contest playoffs to determine two other participants in that tournament. So also got to think about that as well. Uh, the 2024 Copa America. Should we transition to Major League Soccer? Yeah, let's do that. We got we got our second week of Major League Soccer action coming. Although the 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 first games for some teams that didn't play last week. Correct. Uh, the second game for expansion, St. Louis. The first one at home. They won three two away to Austin last weekend, and now their home opener at City Park, a venue that you visited recently. Correct. Yep. Yeah, I mean, so what's interesting is you only get a chance to make, you know, one uh, the the first impression, right? You only get one chance to make a first impression. And the the impression that they made last week, if they could pick which game to win, this is the game you want to win. So if they follow up the wonderful win, I'm talking about St. Louis last week away in Austin with a performance that they get crushed by Charlotte, and Charlotte's not the greatest team, so they can certainly be competitive here. That's that's bad. All these people are coming down. And look, they're not going anywhere. They will continue to come back. But again, I get nervous because I've been around since 96 with this league. I get nervous when inaugural games happen for teams because I I want them to have that moment. I don't want any opportunity wasted. I know it's a competitive environment and things happen beyond your control. You can have all the best laid plans from the outside, but then that referee blows the whistle. And there's nothing worse with all of this hype and all of this attention than watching a stadium completely 
deflate relative to what actually happens on the field. And let's be honest. Yes, it is experiential, right? It's it, you're, the entire day and the process and the experience that you have is part of what you're selling. But ultimately, this is about selling a soccer product. And the people of St. Louis are going to come out in droves, and they're going to want to see a team that is good, that competes. They saw that last week away. Now the team has to come back and really focus. And I want St. Louis to beat Charlotte because I want that for St. Louis and I want that for Major League Soccer. Now, if you're Charlotte, you say, hell no. I'm going to be spoiler. I'm going to come in there and I'm going to make it completely deathly silent. All right. And send everybody back, uh, you know, at least sad or maybe a little bit uh, depressed. St. Louis, as, as, as I said before, from a city perspective, they need a positive vibe downtown. And if you're watching the news, uh, I mean, even last night, there's stuff going on in St. Louis when it comes to the downtown that's not a good look for St. Louis. And so they have to get that right. It has to be an exciting atmosphere. It has to be a competitive atmosphere. It has to be a winning team. And it has to be safe. And you have to leave that downtown urban environment saying, you know what? In the past, maybe I wouldn't have gone down there, but this brings me down because I know we're going to see a good team on the field. It's going to be a great night out. It's going to be safe, and it's going to make me want to come back time and time again. And there's a lot of different things and factors that play into that, but ultimately on the field, the players have a responsibility, uh, and this team has a responsibility to say, hey, this is where you want to be. This is the place to be. And I don't know if there'll be games uh, going for. I mean, we won our inaugural game in 1996, the New England Revolution, on one of those old 35-yard shootouts, our first game ever in history. And I was, I was so nervous that we were going to send people home unhappy and not give them that first impression that is a positive one. All right. What else, Masi? LAFC will finally begin defense of their crown. You might recall their game last weekend against the Galaxy at the Rose Bowl was postponed due to weather. So they'll now begin the season at home against Portland, who beat SKC 1-0 on Monday, thanks to a goal by Mosquera. LAFC taking on Portland on Fox. What do you think? I mean, these are the standard bearers right now. This is the team, the defending champions. This is a team that finally got over the hump. This is a team that came into the league with all guns blazing and has spent money, has stars, has a young coach that, I mean, came right out of the shoot in Steve Terundolo and has done good things. But this is also a team that plays in a league that goes out of its way to make it difficult for teams to consistently be at the highest level. And they need look only at what Atlanta has done. And maybe they look at that as a, a case study and say, we cannot afford to regress. It's not that you, you, you have to win MLS Cup every single time, nor, let's be honest, given history, can you? But this is going to be our first look at a team that climbed the mount and planted that flag. And for the most part, in the history of MLS, it has not gone particularly well uh, in terms of kicking on, if you will, and continuing with, with greatness. And they were great last year. Carlos Vela, very good record against Portland, six goals. Had a pretty good season last season, 12 goals, 11 assists, obviously contributing to Supporter Shield and MLS Cup. But he's a year older, another year removed from his absolute peak of 2019. I'm curious to see what LAFC get out of Vela this season. Do you still view him as a superstar, one of the top players in the league, or you think he's gone down a level? I do. I mean, you, you, you know, you um, in basketball, they talk about, uh, what's it, load management and stuff like that. That's a big controversial uh, topic, topic right now. I, 
we, we talk about it in soccer too. I think that you're going to have to be smart with him. And he has a history of injuries. But I still think that he is, as ever, a game changer when he is on the field. And he's one of those players that, even though you know what happens with that left foot, you still have a very, very difficult job stopping him. Now, what's interesting about him, and maybe this whole team, but certainly applies to him, is having won, finally, an MLS Cup and been there in that moment, what motivates someone to want more and to continue. Some people have it, some people don't. Some people say, hey, I finally got what I wanted and now everything else is gravy. I don't know what Carlos Vela, we know, we do know at least that you know he can be tricky and he can be um, difficult to predict in terms of how he thinks about himself, how he thinks about the game. If you have a motivated Carlos Vela who says, no, now I'm greedy. That's, what it, that's the word I'm looking for. I wanna see a greedy Carlos Vela in 2023. And I think he has the physical capabilities still to still to do it. And I think he's got plenty left in the tank. And today is, in fact, his birthday. He turns 34. Happy birthday, Carlos Vela. All right. So, yeah, I got them beating Portland. Uh, LAFC coming out uh, in their first game of 2023 and beating Portland. The other L.A. team, the Galaxy, they begin their season away to Dallas. No Chicharito. He's going to be out two to five weeks, they said, with a hamstring injury. So the spotlight will be on new designated player Ricky Puj. Yeah, Ricky Puj, who I think there's a lot of excitement and optimism for. We saw him. You know, it's hard. You come into the league midseason, but we saw that this is a guy with incredible talent um, and has the potential, not yet, but has the potential to be that star that the LA Galaxy continues to look for. I'm not discounting Chicharito and what he is, but a guy pulling the strings as opposed to a Chicharito. And if he can stay healthy... And that's something that Chicharito, unfortunately, has not been able to do on a consistent basis in his time in Major League Soccer. And once again, we find him uh, sitting on the side. But yeah, I think he, he's, he's got me thinking that he could be worth the price of admission. The Galaxy signed a young Brazilian from my favorite club, Fluminense. And that's a perfect segue for me to go on a bit of a rant here and poke my countrymen. Okay. There are snobs in Brazil who still refer to MLS as a retirement league. And it was so fascinating to see... There were a couple of days there when Marcelo was linked to the LA Galaxy. Now, mind you, I spoke to a source of mine within the Galaxy organization, and he said there was nothing to it. But nevertheless, there were a couple of days there where people thought he might be going to the Galaxy. And then ultimately, he signed with Fluminense, which is the club where he began his career. So it's a romantic, coming full circle story, ending it where it began type of thing. But comparing the discourse, uh, there was a lot of skepticism in MLS circles about him potentially signing with the Galaxy, and rightly so. The evidence the last couple of years points to him. Now, I love Marcelo. He's one of my favorite all-time players. But the evidence points to him perhaps being washed up the way it ended at Real Madrid, and he had a disastrous time at Olympiacos. Meanwhile, in Brazil, he's been welcomed with open arms, and this is great, incredible signing. And so I actually think right now MLS is more skeptical of signing aging players in the Brazilian league. So dare I say the Brazilian league is more of a retirement league right now than MLS. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, before we move on, and we do have to move on here, I just, I just want to also point out, and it kind of dovetails off, off your last comment. Um, we live in an age when it comes to American soccer, and in particular when it comes to um, the men's game, where we see Europe as the pinnacle. We see Europe as the place that every player should want to be and, and, and to be quite honest, where a lot of people believe that we should want them ultimately to be. 
And while there are wonderful opportunities, I've said this before and I think it bears repeating, if your only goal is to either as a player or as a fan of a player or as a fan of the game is to be in Europe, there are flights leaving every hour on the hour, okay? But what we see is usually the success stories and the big sexy names, money, big, uh, big teams. What we don't see are where it doesn't go well. We don't often see it. And to be quite honest, there's a whole lot more where it doesn't go well. And it could be for a number of different reasons. And it might not even have to do with how good you are as a soccer player. And, you know, I say that because, you know, for example, James Sands, who, uh, you know, was a big timer when it came to Major League Soccer, uh, playing for NYCFC, a uh, national team player, realized his dream of going over to Europe and went to Rangers. And he played sporadically. And I think you would look back on it not as a, from a soccer perspective, a successful time in Europe. We come to find out he is coming back uh, to NYCFC and back to Major League Soccer. And it's easy to look at that as a a step down, or it's easy to look at that simply as a failure. Now, there's so much else that goes on when you go and play overseas than just the actual kicking of the ball. And he might have had a wonderful time and really relished his time over there. But from a soccer perspective, he would have written it very, very differently. And that's why I say it's so important that if you can, and beggars can't be choosers sometimes, if you can, to be able to take a step back and say, is this right for me? Is this the right time for me to go? Is this the right place for me to go? And all of those different things come into play. Am I in an environment where I'm going to play? Am I in an environment where I can adapt to the culture? That includes the language, and that includes the 22 and a half hours that don't have to do with actually playing the game. Or am I married? Do I have a significant other? Do I have kids, all that kind of stuff. How are they going to be uh, impacted on the field? And so the grass is not always greener when it comes to just simply going to, uh, going to Europe. And he might have another opportunity uh, later on, and there might be reasons why it didn't go well for him in this you know, venture over there, uh, over there in Europe. But there's plenty of other players. And if and when they come back, they might be coming back to a better environment. They're certainly coming back, to your point, to a better league relative to what it was 5, 10, 20, and let's be honest, 30 years ago, uh, right before it's, uh, it started. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing that they have an opportunity to come back to a league that is still going to test them, that is still going to make them better. And there is nothing that, that I see that just because a player doesn't go to Europe, uh, that me, that that says that they can't develop and they can't evolve and they can't become better playing day in and day out uh, in Major League Soccer. And that doesn't preclude them from going over to Europe, but it's just got to be the right place. And there might even be cases where you take a step back by going over there to Europe. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will take a uh, little recap and preview about all the stuff that's going on over there in Europe. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
Okay, welcome back. Uh, let's take a little trip around Europe and talk about some stories that are going on, either games or players or you know stuff that's happening. Our, our friend Christian Pulisic, all right? We talked about him in the previous pod. He's grown a beard. We have now seen him back on the field after a lengthy injury. Rumors are that he could be playing or at least available this week, which is a, which a good thing, not just from a Chelsea perspective, but from an American perspective. But there are continued rumors when it comes to where he is going to possibly end up. And that possible move happening in the summer gets more and more possible, I think, with every discussion about Christian Pulisic. Correct. And we identified five teams that he's been linked to recently, and you ranked them in order of where you'd most like to see him end up. I uh, did. And once you see these, you'll understand the thinking on each and, and every one. And some, I guess, maybe more, would be more controversial. But, you know, we've we've heard a lot of talk because he's one of the great young players in the world. He also, I don't think that Chelsea is going to get even close to the $80 million that they spent on him. So there's going to be a deal made here, but he's a guy who hasn't played a whole lot. He's a guy that has shown that he is still incapable of really being healthy for any extended period of time. But there's going to be a lot of people still kicking that uh, the tires because of the talent that he has. And I think he's going to make somebody happy ultimately when this gets done. All right. So if we start this off here, and this actually was uh, your suggestion, because we did talk about this uh, beforehand. And there's some different teams and obviously different areas for him to go to. The Italian game, as we know, is very unique. I do agree with you. Uh, and that's why we put this at number five here, that a move to Italy and a move specifically to AC Milan could get him back into a situation where he's playing on a consistent basis. Uh, don't say we put it at five. This is your order. I would have it differently, which I'll let you well, know. Well, I'm when sorry. You're we had him with. in the five. Excuse me. <laughs> I put him at five. But you were... You convinced me, all right, that AC Milan should be part of this five. Yeah, originally they weren't even in the five no, that we were going to exactly. rank, and I said you got to put exactly. AC Milan that's back a, in that, That's a good clarification there. But uh, look, it's a it's not the AC Milan of the 80s and 90s. We all understand that. It's not the even the AC Milan of uh, 10 or 20 years ago. Having said that, there is opportunity, and I think specifically the game, the way the game is played and the type of player that he is, I mean... At his best, Christian Pulisic can be Del Piero-esque. And maybe that's sacrilege to say something like that. We have not seen his best, but maybe going to Italy can draw that out. Why, why, did you, why were you so adamant about having AC Milan as part of this? I would put them number one on my list. Okay. I, I love that fit. Um, they're a big enough club that it doesn't feel like a step down going from Chelsea to AC Milan. And I think that league with his pace, his explosiveness, he could really have some success, especially if they sell Rafael Leon. But even if they keep Leon, Pulisic perhaps playing on the other wing. And I, I love Stefano Pioli. Wait, 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 he wait, tends wait. to get the best out of players. So I do think there's a real hold nice Hold on, there. hold everything. Uh, listen, I know that Chelsea has had struggles. Uh, and we're actually going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But don't tell me that going from Chelsea to AC Milan is not a step down. It is, but not that severe. AC Milan is still one of the brand names in European football. I think you're living in the past, but okay. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Anyway, uh, let's put up number four here in terms of you know possibilities. Now, this is familiarity. This is certainly a step down within the EPL, and I would say a step down. However, there are those that argue, and I can certainly make this argument, and you will see in this five, I've, I make different arguments here, and I can argue different ways, but... When it comes to when it comes to leads, this is a team that we know is going to struggle. This is a team that needs something. Now, 
I would, uh, the caveat with this one is that this is if Leeds stay up. I do not want Christian Pulisic playing in the championship, but if Leeds were to stay up, that would be a potential move. He's got his friends there. Uh, he's got that American connection there. It would be a very, very different environment because no matter what happens, I think Leeds is going to continue to be this team that struggles each and every year to be just a medium, uh, medium-sized level uh, in terms of performance team in the EPL. But there might be a comfort, and that step down may provide him an opportunity to do some different things. So I have him at a four there. Any uh, thoughts on that? I was against McKinney going there because I thought that made the team a bit too American. So okay. you imagine throwing Pulisic on At top of it. At this point, I just want as many Americans there as possible. <laughs> and then let's let the chips fall where they may. So uh, that's what we have there. All right, when we go to number uh, number three here, let's call up for three. All right, so this is one that's been in the news of late. We've talked about this on the show before. And the concerns there are the style, the Simeone way. But Simeone might be going out, and so that's why this is this is intriguing. But the general style of La Liga, I think, would suit him more than maybe the rough-and-tumble style of uh, the EPL. And so that's where I put that there. My caveat there would be if he is just getting berated every every <laughs> week by Simeone and playing. I mean, we've seen Christian, Pul- Christian Pulisic play outside back, and I would hate for to see him go to La Liga, play for Atletico Madrid, and be defending most of the time and just getting down and dirty as opposed to using his God-given talents. Yeah, I wouldn't love that one if Simeone stays in charge. Okay. All right, uh, let's go to number two here. Uh, and this, for me, is actually, it was real close to being number one, and you'll see when I throw up number one why why there's just a, a, a blatant difference in these two. But Newcastle United, we know, is heading in an upward trajectory. New South, New, Newcastle United is a work in progress, but what a hell of a work in progress it is. And I think sooner rather than later, they are going to find a way to that elite status that, let's also be honest, is what is being bought right now in a, in a good way. I, I want to see this ascension of Newcastle United. And if I'm Christian Pulisic, the way that they play or the way they want to play, I think he is a welcome addition. And I think that he would very quickly, because it's not the highest level where you have that type of pressure. It's not your Man Cities. It's not your, let's be honest, it's not even your, your Liverpools, even though they're struggling right now. So the pressure wouldn't I think be as great and it might you know he gets to stay in the EPL and continue on and be part of that project and he represents I think a skill and ability and talent that is that next level for Newcastle in terms of what they are trying to do I agree in fact I said AC Milan would be my number one truthfully it would be a jump ball between AC Milan and Newcastle I think this would be a great fit as well I've watched an inordinate amount of Newcastle this season because of Bruno Guimarães and I, I love Eddie Howe as a manager. He does get the best out of players. You see what he's done with Miguel Almiron. They did just sign Anthony Gordon from Newcastle, so that might be an issue. But no, I think overall that Newcastle would be a very interesting destination. For All me. right. So this is the number one. And this is going to be controversial because it's Real Madrid. Now, we have heard rumors coming out about Real Madrid. I, I don't know how much to believe them. I don't know if you believe them. But... I think you would agree with me that unlike all of these others, and we can debate whether it's a step down or something like that, this is undoubtedly a step up and a massive step up. Now, an American playing at Real Madrid and Christian Pulisic in particular. Now, I use the word playing 
because let's be honest, we had Taylor Twelman. If you haven't heard that uh, uh, that podcast, go back and listen to it because he was so good and he was so interesting, actually, when we were talking to him about Christian Pulisic. And he said, I want Christian Pulisic playing somewhere 80% of the time and being a regular starter. I don't think Taylor, myself, you, or anybody else out there thinks that Christian Pulisic is going to walk into Real Madrid, albeit not the greatest Real Madrid team and find a way to start. But stranger things have happened. And maybe he goes into a situation where he is playing on one of the elite teams that, again, in a league where there is two elite teams, there are two elite teams when it comes to the Liga. So they know that time and time again, they are going to have the ball, they are going to have the possession, they are going to win. And that pressure is only relative to playing on the great, if not the greatest team in the world, and being one of the two great teams within that league. And a part of me says, it's an offer you can't refuse. It's Real Madrid. And I know, listen, Christian Pulisic has made plenty of money. He will continue to make plenty of money. And so he doesn't have to go places necessarily because of the money. And if he went to Real Madrid, he would still make lots of money. But I think that it represents so much, maybe just to me and maybe just to the outside. But I do think that it almost is the culmination of the project that is Christian Pulisic, if this were to come come to be, if Real Madrid was actually interested in Christian Pulisic. So I would have that at number one. First off, my dad called me the day after that interview and was raving about Taylor Twelman. He was so good on this podcast, huh? The, the dude's a pro. I mean, dude's there's a, a reason why Apple wants him. Uh, I don't believe this rumor for one second, okay. so I haven't given it much thought. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe if Vinicius needs somebody to lace his boots for training. Wow. Wow. Whatever. Let's see Venetius go over there and play at. Uh, at Ch- hey, let's see Venetius go over there and play at Leeds. All right. Where did Venetius play uh, when he was over in Brazil? Flam- Flamengo. Flamengo. What a surprise there. And then he went over to the greatest team in the world. I mean, look. Uh, it, well, how about we cross this bridge when we get it? But that's my five. Let us know your five. Anyway, that's our, our Christian Pulisic uh, potential for uh, the summer. Uh, Chelsea this weekend face Leeds, which if Pulisic plays, it could be an American orgy. Um, <laughs> we did get an Ask Alexi question about Chelsea, so we don't have to delve into this game uh, here. We could talk about it there. Okay. Uh, as far as the title race, Arsenal in a match that took place earlier today thumped Everton 4-0. Martinelli with two goals. Saka and Odegaard got the others. I could not have been more wrong about Arsenal. I thought after City went in there and beat them, they might be in trouble, but instead they've ripped off three straight victories. They're looking great. Well, all right. I mean, you know, five points. That's a nice cushion with I, 13 games left. This was, I kept saying they had a game in hand. This was the game in this hand. Was the so, game we're now, so now uh, we're even. So now it's everything to play for. 13 games, plenty of points out there, and plenty of potential slips up, slip, uh, slip ups going for. Although I don't maybe, think they're going to slip up this weekend. weekend oh, because you jinxed it. You jinxed it. They're home to Bournemouth, while Manchester City will host Newcastle, a potential Christian Pulisic destination, according to you. So City have the tougher game this weekend. Um, We had another midweek game today, Liverpool 2-0 victory over Wolves. For all their troubles, Liverpool still lurking in that top four race. They're only six points back of Tottenham for fourth with a game in hand. This weekend, they have a massive showdown. Uh, They will face Manchester United. That game is at Anfield. United advanced today in the FA Cup, beating West Ham. Liverpool, Manchester United, considered one of the great derbies in world football, although you did not have it in your top five. You put Seattle, Portland instead, which caused a furor on Twitter. Bring it. I mean, okay, but this is... uh, All right, so Liverpool, I mean, we saw today when they scored and ultimately won, you saw this pressure, not completely lift off, but to your point, each and every goal 
every single moment was, all right. And I think they kind of looked around and said, are we back? I don't know. Are, are they back, Mossy? Is this, is, we know they have plenty of talent, but this has not been a good year. So much so that people even talking about Klopp and, oh, this is, this is, this is no good. Do you think they're going on a run here? They're not all the way back, but I think they'll make a run at fourth. It's going to come down to okay. Tottenham and Liverpool, and I could see that going either way. So okay. it should be fun to watch. All right. Uh, in Germany, tremendous title race going on there. On Friday, Borussia Dortmund will host RB Leipzig. Gio Reyna has not played in any of Dortmund's last three games. We talk so much about Pulisic. I do want to ask you about Gio right now. I know that his absence of playing time is always explained away by fitness and, well, he must not be 100%. But the fact is, he hasn't been 100% for a long time. Other young players have emerged. They seem to be very high on this Jamie Bino-Gittens right now. You've got uh, Mukoko as well, uh, not to mention Karim Adeyemi, Daniel Malin, uh, the, even the older guys, Royce, Julian Brandt. Uh, Dortmund have a lot of guys right now. Are you concerned thinking about the next year or two about Gio's situation at Dortmund and playing time? And might he potentially be find himself in a situation where he has to look around. Well, maybe we'll work on another top five list for uh, Gio Reyna. I mean, who are his parents going to blame now, right? <laughs> I mean, or oh, are we blaming Burhalter? Is it Burhalter's fault that he's not playing right now? Yeah, again, it's interesting. Because he's been injured, we don't tend to worry about his playing time as much as we do with Pulisic at Chelsea because Gio's can always be explained away by, well, it must be a fitness issue. He must not be fit enough to play more than he's than he's playing right now. But nevertheless, other players are taking advantage of his absence and boosting their stock. And all of a sudden, when he, whenever he is 100%, he's going to have a lot of competition on his hands for playing time. Can I just say something? Did you see where my mind went to immediately when we started talking about it? That's what pisses me off about this whole thing. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the, you know, the Burhalter situation uh, later on because we haven't brought it up a whole lot. But that's the, that's the crap that oh, it, it, it angers me that that's what, what ultimately pops into my mind there. And maybe I'm a horrible person, but you know, that's the reality of the situation that I didn't create. It was created by others. Anyway, go ahead. Well, that's, and it's not fair to Gio. It's not fair. It's not fair to Gio. He is still a good player. And I, I'm not worried about Gio going forward, but it, it might have run its course when it comes ultimately to, uh, to Dortmund. And who knows? Maybe he just needs a change, a, a change of scenery and there'll be plenty of suitors. Let's clip that. I am not a horrible person. Put that on Twitter and <laughs> see what their reaction is. Uh, also, this weekend, Union Berlin, Jordan Pifak and company will host Cologne, and Bayern Munich will be away to Stuttgart. Remember, Bayern and Dortmund level on points atop the table. In Spain, first off, we're taping this on a Wednesday. Tomorrow, Real Madrid hosts Barcelona in the first leg of the Copa del Rey semifinal, so we get another Clasico. And then at the weekend, Real Madrid will resume their pursuit of Barcelona in La Liga. Real Madrid do have the tougher game this weekend. They are away to Betis, while Barcelona are home to Valencia. Barcelona with a seven-point lead. This feels like a weekend where there's a better chance of Barcelona increasing their lead than Real Madrid cutting into it. It's done. It's, done. it's already done. And it'll be doneer if that's a word, <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> and then finally in Italy, I wanted to mention this game. Roma will host Juventus. A couple of things here. Uh, Jose Mourinho suspended because he got himself sent off Roma's last game. They had a shock defeat to Cremonese. Cremonese's first win of the season. And I don't know if you saw this wild scenes. Mourinho lost it on the touchline, got a red card, got himself a two-game suspension. And he's so upset, he's talking about suing the official because he feels like the official goaded him into it, said something inappropriate that he's he hasn't revealed yet, but 
Mourinho seems to think he has a lawsuit here that he could sue the referee. Well, let's be honest. He's setting the <laughs> stage for the U.S., right? I mean, he's trying to get himself just completely canned, and so he has the opportunity to go and coach the U.S. Juventus, by the way, have won their last four league games. They've been galvanized by that 15-point penalty. The judge, uh, that 15-point penalty, the intention where, there was to leave it where there was no chance of them qualifying for the Champions League. They're 10 points back. They're probably not going to make it, but the way they're playing, the other thing to keep in mind is they have another path through the Europa League, and the way they're playing, they're one of the favorites to win that competition. So it would be funny if uh, Juventus somehow find their way still uh, in the Champions League next season. Paul Pogba, by the way, finally made his season debut in Juventus' last game against Torino, came off the bench, played well. So they have forgot about him. And he's back. All right. All right. So all sorts of stuff to watch. Anything else? That's it. All right. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that uh, point in the show where we uh, take your questions either online using that hashtag Ask Alexi and all the different social media platforms with SOTU with Alexi. Those, that's our handle out there. Or our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. 657-549-2297. That's our State of the U- Union podcast hotline, and you can call and leave a message, as I'm told somebody did today, right, Mossy? Yes, we have a voicemail. Let's listen to it right now. Hey, Alexi. Hey, Mossy. This is uh, Andrew from Texas. I do have a question for both of you about the troubles at Chelsea. I've been a Chelsea fan for a little over 10 years now, and it, it right now it feels like the most lost that Chelsea has ever been, um, even whenever we were kind of waiting around with Drogba and counting on him the most to bring us up. Right now it just feels like nobody knows who to trust, but my question is, if you're going to start troubleshooting on where the problem is within a club like this, where do you start? How do you figure out where to start? You know, some, I know sometimes it's obvious that it might be a coach issue if there's no connection between the players and the coach, but you know, if you're having to dig into the front office or the owner or the sporting director, where, where do you start fixing that problem and how does that happen? Love the podcast, guys. Thanks so much. That's a long-suffering Chelsea fan. Ten years, he said. He said it, this is the worst it's been in those ten years. I, I would point out to Andrew, there was a world before Roman Abramovich when uh, Jose Mourinho guided Chelsea to the Premier League title in the 2004-05 season. It was their first league title in 50 years. So uh, just to put a little bit in perspective in the struggles you're going through right now. But, right. Uh, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so, there. I mean, the struggles, <laughs> struggles are relative, right? Uh, and there are plenty of teams out there that would love to have these problems. They won the Champions League two seasons ago. Right. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, Janet Jackson, okay, what have you done for me lately? A couple of things. Um, yes, there's plenty of blame to grow, go around. And whenever you have a situation like this, the old saying, it's much easier to fire the coach than fire all the players. Although, uh, there might be some that would want to fire all the players. So, Graham Potter, I mean, is he a Arteta 
situation where you just need to get through all of these uh, changes and challenges and get him to the other side? Or because you got to fish or cut bait. If you really believe that he is the coach that he is, then then you do that. But he absolutely deserves uh, criticism for where this team is. Uh, having said that, this is a team that has over 30 players on the actual roster right now. And that's, an, that's a difficult size of team to have, especially when plenty of players, I think, either outwardly or inwardly, realize that their time is up and that there are going to be changes come, uh, come the summer. Uh, then you have a new ownership and that change of ownership and a dramatic change of ownership and say what you will <laughs> about uh, Roman Abramovich, but his leadership or, or leadership in not being a leader and staying out of the, the situation, except for giving mon uh, money, made Chelsea into the juggernaut uh, that they that they once were and I, you know this isn't an, an this isn't me endorsing and saying that Roman Ravic should come back but that bully comes in and this new ownership comes in and you gotta you gotta show not just that you're spending money because that's that's easy to do I'm not saying everybody does it but that's easy to do but that you're spending money well and that money that is being spent has not translated into the results uh, that they want. So I mentioned the, you know, the size of the squad. The other thing is when you go up and down this squad, no one stands out, all right? Not, not that they're not talented. No, I agree with but, you, man. I mean, do you remember, do you remember the, uh, the movie Say Anything? There's a scene in Say Anything where Lily Taylor, um, who, who plays um, Corey Flood in Say Anything, turns to John Cusack's character, and says uh, to Lloyd, the world is full of guys. Be a man. Don't be a guy. And when I see this Chelsea collection of players, first off, it may be a collection of incredibly talented and highly paid players, but it's not a team. And I see this as a team full of guys and not a man among them. All right. And it's not that they can't be. And by the way, this has nothing to do with age. This has to do with leadership. And I know it's talked and thrown about at times, but this is a group of, of players and none of them scare me. None of them, none of them, when you say the name of them, you immediately think of that club. None of them have come to represent this club and none of them are men, let alone leaders of men. And I think that that is a problem where you don't just have to amass talent, but you have to amass talent that works together. And I'm not saying it doesn't sometimes take time here, but this is, this is not, this is a great collection of players, but this is not a team. I don't know, Mossy, what do you think? No, I think for having spent over 300 million euros in January, it's amazing how little they have to show for it as far as sure things. they got a bunch of talented young players that may pan out, may not, probably need some time. But you think for spending that kind of money, I heard people talking this up as one of the great transfer windows in history and comparing it to Real Madrid's summer 2009 window. That was a window in which Real Madrid signed an in his prime Cristiano Ronaldo, Kareem Benzema, Kaká, who didn't even work out, but still was <laughs> considered one of the top three or four players in the world at the time. Shabby Alonso, you know what I mean? Like, you're, yeah. you're getting sure things there. Well, 
it's for Chelsea, it's Mihailo Mudrik, it's Benoit Badiashil, who's been pretty good actually. But you know what I mean? It's it's a lot of young players that we'll, we'll see. Have and so and one thing they did not buy is goals. In in all their spending, they did not think to go out and get a proven goal scorer. And so I still look at that lineup and they still lack somebody that's going to put the ball in the back of the net on a consistent basis. So I think they're really struggling with that. So, yeah, uh, it's it's bad times right now. Graham Potter, that guy doesn't know which way is up. I mean, do you think he's good? Graham Potter, do you think he's a good coach, manager? I, I think he was very good for Brighton. As we talk about, it's a very different job going from Brighton to Chelsea. And he's taken over Chelsea at a very difficult time. So um, I don't know. Do you I, think I, he sticks? Uh, Prop. Come this fall, is he is he the coach? They probably hold on to him through the end of the season, but then not beyond that. I think it, they'll make a change in the offseason. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, all right. Well, thank you for the uh, the question there. Who was that? Andrew, right, from Texas. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, again, if you want to send in a question uh, and use that State of the Union podcast hotline, it's 657-549-2297. Or you can send this stuff over uh, on social media uh, with that hashtag, Ask Alexi, uh, S-O-T-U with Alexi on all the different uh, media platforms. That's our handle out there. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Another quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap up our show with uh, One for the Road. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give him my one for the road. Uh, I teased it earlier that you know it's been now a while and a number of weeks since we have heard anything out of the United States Soccer Federation relative to the, for lack of a better phrase, the Greg Berhalter report. Everything's the report. So this would be, I guess, the Berhalter report. And we know that the Federation, after all the drama and craziness that ensued after the World Cup with Greg Berhalter and the Reinas, uh, that they commissioned a outside source to go and investigate <clears throat> everything, I guess, the history and how it was handled in the moment and what happened before. And, you know, I, I, I'm assuming that this is continuing to go on. I don't know how in-depth it's going to be. Our friend Eric Winalda, I don't know if you saw him uh, today on Twitter, said the investigation has been over for two weeks. They don't know how to report it or make a decision about how to handle this. Surprise, surprise. It's March, by the way. L-O-L. I think that means laugh out loud. Correct. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if Eric uh, knows something that uh, that others don't know, but I think we're getting to the point here where it's safe to expect this report or the findings of this report to be to be released and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if it if it is released soon and if and when it is it's going to be really interesting as to what this outside source found in their investigation a couple of things could happen one they could say well not only did uh, we find and confirm everything that is public right now but we found additional things that have happened and that could be something that um, that looks that is critical of Greg Berhalter. It could be something that's critical of the Reynas. Keep in mind that there was there was talk uh, from Greg Berhalter about stuff that actually happened during the World Cup, and people 
even apart from Greg Berhalter that were contacted. I don't know if we're going to find out all of those details, but that could be confirmed or that could be denied. There could be a potential, I guess, vindication of Greg Berhalter in that everything that he said was true. And while the, you know, the TED talk that he made uh, public um, thinking it was private certainly was not something that, that he would want or um, uh, was something that uh, was prudent. It was, you know, it was, it, it happened. And in that case, I guess what would happen is he continues to be, and by all accounts, he continues to be a candidate for his position that he had. There could be a situation where, yeah, they confirm everything, but it's just too much and too much of a burden. And as I've said time and time again, that would be uh, that would be sad, and I think that that would make me even anger, angrier because that would be, you know, Greg Berhalter ultimately getting screwed. And I've told you before, I don't think that coaches should have multiple cycles. But if you take out that, if I put that aside and I just look at the Greg Berhalter results, it more than justifies a decision to continue on with, uh, with Greg Berhalter. So I don't know ultimately what's, uh, what's going to come out of this, but I got to feel that this has to come to an end. And what it will mean is we have come to the end, the conclusion of a really sad moment in our national team history. And, you know, the problems and the dysfunction, for lack of a better word, the, the dirt and the dirtiness of it um, is certainly something that we want to move on from. And I hope that we do. But the Federation has made it very clear that a coach or an appointment of a coach is not going to happen until they fill that position uh, of Ernie Stewart slash Brian McBride. And then that person ultimately is going to be in charge of picking uh, the coach. I hope that we get clarity when it comes to the report. Sometimes we don't when it comes to these reports, but I hope we get some clarity and some better understanding of exactly what happened, the, the decisions that were made, the errors that were made, and what is true, what isn't true, and from a federation perspective, how they look at this sorted situation going forward rather uh, relative to Greg Berhalter, if he is to continue on or at least be considered uh, to continue on, or if they are moving on, what is in place to at least attempt to avoid a repeat of this situation. So I guess that's a long way of saying, come on, man, it's been enough time. Let's get this thing going and let's get this uh, report out. I demand that this report be made public so that we can make our final determination as to what's, uh, what's going to happen with Greg Berhalter going forward. There's only one person that doesn't mind this stuff dragging out like this. What's that? Anthony Hudson. He's getting, right. getting to vote for FIFA Best Player. <laughs> Did you see that? Holy cow. <laughs> amazing, amazing. I had a wonderful time, uh, by the way, in, uh, uh, in Paris. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually going, uh, going to ski. Yeah, I'm going to go ski this weekend. When I say ski, I'm going to be at a ski slope. With your knees? Well, I'm going to be, what is it called? Après skiing? That's, that's where that's, I shine at that. So yeah, I'm not going to do, be doing any real skiing. But I'm going to go to where the snow is and hopefully not hurt myself or anybody along the process, uh, in the process and, and have a good time. Anything before we go, Mossy? That's it. All right. Thank you uh, all for reviewing and uh, you know sending in your uh, your. Uh, 
um, your Ask Alexi questions and obviously uh, the State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. And downloading and just in general, being a part of the State of the Union. We are constantly evolving. We are constantly changing to try to give you the show now twice a week that you want, that you crave, and we hope that we're doing a good job. We are certainly not uh, perfect, and we are a work in progress, but I was thinking about this, Mossy. We've been doing this now a number of years, and if you think back to when we first started this little, little enterprise, as the saying goes, you've come a long way, baby, and we have. we still got a long way to go, uh, but we can't do it without you. So, We do thank you for uh, listening and or watching every single week. And we will talk to you again next week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.